Graver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Parker Avery Group, we invite you to visit parkeravery.com. This is Trisha Gustin. I'm joined by Kathy Toll and Heidi Senses and Carrie Hable. And we were all discussing about a month or so ago an article in Forbes that talked about Home Goods launching their long awaited e commerce platform. And the four of us were going back and forth about this as consumers and consumers of Home Goods. We were very curious about how this was going to be pulled off because. Home goods and sister brands like TJ Maxx and then Marshalls and, and other off-price retailers really focus on sort of that treasure hunting experience. And the shoppers know going in that it is a treasure hunt and that's what one of the driving forces for, for walking into those stores. You never know what you're going to need until you see it at a Home Goods or a TJ Maxx. But e-commerce is a bit different when you're shopping online. And so the four of us are kind of batting around, like, how does this work? And what's the customer journey? And on the retailer side, how is this successfully going to launch and be executed? Because it's not the traditional buy online, pick up and store because of the, the way the assortment is planned and the way the allocation goes to these stores. So... We just really wanted to kind of talk about it. And, and I think each of us either went into a home goods store or purchased something. And so we wanted to explain that and then just talk about some implications too. So um, ladies, thanks for joining me, first of all. What do you think about you. this this whole model? And, and uh, the couple of you that did place orders, what was your experience and how do you, how do you view that going forward? Well, I can share that I, this is Carrie and I um, did a, I, I was actually a very, loyal home goods consumer and I, I would say in general like I love going in there I never really have anything that I'm specifically going in there for mm -hmm. and so I do enjoy like the treasure hunt I, I always find that I need a, a significant amount of time in the stores though um, to kind of wander around and play and things like that but um, so I, I you know have been a regular home goods shopper and have many things in my home currently when I went online, I was really excited to be able to see that they offer some things online. So when they launched their platform, I went on and I wouldn't say that I was disappointed, but it was a little harder to have that same type of experience because the treasure hunting, you know, wasn't really able to find, you know, things that I felt like were like a really steep deal, but I did end up buying a couple things, I think in general, you know, I, I found some things that I enjoyed, but I was disappointed that there wasn't free shipping. So that was the one piece for me that was like a, yeah. it, was, yeah. it was a driver to make my purchase or not, but I ended up doing it anyways, just because I wanted to understand the experience. 
And I think their okay. free their free shipping or, or their model is you have to spend over a threshold, which was pretty high, in my opinion. Comparatively. Yeah, it was $100, $119, I think. And, you know, the bargain hunter in me, that's a lot. That's a, that's a hefty sum, in my opinion, if you're just bargain hunting. I agree with what Carrie said that I also shopped online with him because there's not one very close to my house. But it was the day after the article came out, and I just wanted to experience mm -hmm. what they had and so see how long did it take to receive the product. Was the stuff in stock? How was it shipped? And I was very excited about the quality of the products for the value for the price of it. And I have since, you know, not that Home Goods is the only store I shop from, but I have placed multiple orders from them. But um, I do think, though, that there's a couple of operational things that they really need to think about or anybody needs to think about if they're moving from a traditional in-store only experience to both online and in-store experience. Because home goods would have been used to shipping their stuff from their warehouses to their stores and pallets. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden they have to pick, pack, and ship in eaches or pick, pack, and ship in multiple eaches from all over the warehouse and be able to manage that. And manage the orders for sometimes a single item versus a whole box of things. And what impressed me about their shipping in this particular instance was that it came in a single box. Mm -hmm. And I agree, $119 for free shipping is a lot of money. But if you balance that with other online shopping experiences, there's an office supply store that has zero minimum dollars to get a purchase. So you could buy a roll of scotch tape for free shipping. How much <laughs> is that? costing them to ship you the scotch tape. Well, and Amazon too. Yeah. And then there's an arts and crafts retailer I frequent where they have $49 minimum. I'll order 12 items and they'll come in eight boxes. So at least with the single package with $119 free shipping limit, it seems like they could actually not cost themselves money on that. And then you also have to think about the return policy, mm -hmm. which we can get into even later. But it, there's a lot to think about if you're doing just in-store shopping to going to both direct-to-consumer online. And it goes beyond retail. It could go to consumer packaged goods like Purdue Chicken, yeah. who now ships products directly to the customers, or Twining's Tea. How do they manage what is typically a distribution model and going to direct-to-consumer? And I found it, I live in the city, and I, for me, home goods online was quite exciting because we don't have one in the city that's accessible to me and I have friends and I know people that just love the store so when I saw 119 for me knowing I didn't have access to a store it wasn't a deal breaker and and this is the way I, I played it with my in my head is I'm like just look around the site if you find a couple of things throw them in your cart we'll see where we land the first place I went, as you all know, I have a little puppy that I just <laughs> adore. So I went to dog stuff. And I just got lost in dog. They had the cutest blankets and all. Um, and great. Like, when I got it, I was really excited with the quality. But it is interesting because it's very similar to a Nordstrom Rack. Or mm -hmm. when you are in, on those sites, either you got to have one of two things, I will confess. I am procrastinating. When I'm on those sites, because I'm like, you don't have to exercise or something I need to do that I really don't want to. So all of a sudden I start shopping around and I end up with some pretty ridiculous things coming to my home. 
because at that moment I was like, oh, I've got to have that. But for me, I felt like Home Goods was really playing. Their target was for this, and I I feel like they're testing their shipping price too. They're going to see what sits, yeah. you know, what lands. But it, it really for um, the urban audience, they're not reaching. It it's a great solution. Yeah, yeah. You know that that when I lived in Chicago way back. I mean, this was I'm going to age myself, but it was about two twenty five years ago. I lived in Chicago, and I was. I used Peapod because I wasn't going to be dragging groceries through, you know, downtown Chicago. So it was fantastic. I'm pretty sure there was a minimum requirement, but in the same vein or train of thought, Home Goods is attracting a whole new audience that they may not have access to before, and so that 119 may may not be that big of a deal yeah. to a lot of people yeah. that live downtown in in larger cities. So that I can totally see. I just wonder about, you know, Heidi, you got your stuff in one box from Home Goods, but the way they seem to allocate, at least from my experience, product, you know, they have so many at each location, but what if you want five of something and there's only four at a single location? How does, where, where does that come from and how does that, that work? I just wonder about that downstream impact to the store environment. Like, are you going to get four of them in one box and another one in, in a totally separate box? And that that cost of all that seems to be, I would think, rather large from the labor component, the packing component, materials, mm. shipping, all that. It depends on how they choose to fulfill it. If they are truly omnichannel and fulfilling from stores as well as distribution centers, then yes, you have a different consideration because it's almost like buy online, pick up in store where your store associates almost turn into warehouse folks by yeah. doing the picking and packing of the products packaging it and making sure it's safe and secure and wrapped in whatever it needs to be. But if it's all fulfilled from a DC, if that's where they're checking their, their on hand, their inventory, then they have a better chance of being able to guarantee that you can get it all in a single package. But that also goes back to what I was talking about with returns, because I bought for Halloween, a number of fragile items, glass pumpkins. And if I wasn't happy with them and I wanted to return it, they need to also value what is it going to cost to return a product? And is it worth it? Because a $12.99 pumpkin that I purchased that's glass, then I package it and ship it back. Is it worth it for them to even take it back or just give me the refund and let me keep something that's not functioning? So it, there's a lot of things to take into consideration beyond just I have a pretty site to how do I fulfill it? How do I return it? How do I manage customer service? How do I take payments even? And then how do I expand that going forward? If they want to go to buy online, pick up in store, buy online, pick up at curb, how good is their inventory management system? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's a huge one. If you have a treasure hunt inventory, you don't care. You don't even know if what you have is something that you actually purchased or somebody returned and you just took it back because they didn't know any better. So can you guarantee that somebody's going to be able to go and pick it up? I think you know, that's the, the struggle is real for inventory management for off-price retailers and and even any retailer. I recently and I, I was really disappointed because I I don't usually buy online pickup and store because I'm lazy and I like it shipped to me. But because we've had such a slowdown with shipments and supply chain issues, they had a product in stock in this particular store that I was like, great, I will go 
tomorrow and like ordered it and I'll, it, it's fine. Um, less than a mile from my home and pick it up. And then the next day received a notification that they had to cancel the order because they were out of stock on the product. And I'm like, curses. <laughs> it was um, also during, you know, the whole cyber black Friday, cyber Monday. So it was on sale. And I'm like, now I miss my chance to get something on sale that typically isn't. It was a skincare product. And I didn't find out until, you know, the 11th hour that I'm like, and you don't have it in stock. It's a matter of you're, you're so open to human error in the stores, in the distribution centers. You know, I scan out one item to Heidi, I'm selling something as a diet Pepsi and it's really diet Coke. And now my inventory screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it, it's, it's the technology and then the execution, especially at the store level. And we've all been there inside this, you know, as store employees and we've seen what, how that can get messed up. And, and in that environment, in a, in a environment like home goods or TJ Maxx, or, I mean, even when Steinmart was around that inventory management, you don't, you have it scattered to begin with. And then lack of execution, store execution, and actually bringing up the correct skew, and your the e-commerce is clobbered. There's, I mean, it's almost there's no way. Like, how do you know how many of these eaches you have across your fleet of stores, and then in the in your DCs, if your frontline employees, not maliciously, but are just not executing it because they got to get the line through the line. That's kind of a big uh, deal. And, and Trisha, I I think you kind of alluded to this too was making the decision to go from the treasure hunt in store to going to online. Um, a number of years back, you know, Christmas tree shops used to be online and a number of retailers fully and voluntarily elected to not have e-commerce sales anymore. They'd offer flyers or you might be able to call the store and pick it up at the curb or something. But I, it seems like in 2020, when your store shut down completely for months, and you had zero revenue coming in, kudos to those companies yep. who found a backup plan that if it, if it ever happens again, at least we have a revenue stream. If it, even if it's not a significant portion of our revenue at the moment, at least we have a way to have some kind of income coming in and not zero dollars. That helps protect employees. It helps protect staff. It helps pr protect shareholders. So, I'm curious to see where these companies end up going in the future and how far they extend their capabilities. I don't think that Home Goods was offering buy online, pick up her curbside, or pick up in store. It seems to me it was it was ship or nothing. Is that what you all experienced? Which I think is a dangerous dangerous proposition. I'd like to know. Hey, I'm going to be out and about. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow to get my order or, or next week because I want I want to get this thing for my sister or whatever. I'm last minuteing. And so I want to get it, reserve it, pick it up this afternoon or tomorrow. Yeah. But they're not, they don't seem to be offering it. And maybe this is all a test ground for them. But for something that they tout, at least Forbes touted as long awaited, I'm not trying to slam him because, but I would think, you know, some of this stuff you need to think through, especially when you're doing this at, towards the tail end of what we hope is the tail end of this pandemic. Like yeah. There are a lot of, a lot of lear learnings that people gather, like you alluded to, Heidi, you need these capabilities if the next disruption shuts all the stores down dark. Yeah. You're right. Home Goods doesn't currently offer buy online, pick up in store. And I think that has that could potentially have to do with inventory management. I bet. Inventory. Visibility. Knowledge. Yeah. Um, but during the pandemic, at least when stores were allowed to open back up, if you were uncomfortable going and shopping in the store, you could call them 
and say, hey, do you have these six things? And they would bring it out to your car for you, at least temporarily. I don't think they still do that anymore. But finding a way to pivot in a way to continue to meet your customer's needs is what's really important. And to be able to meet your customer wherever they're most comfortable, by whatever shipping, pickup, in-store shopping experience, whatever's convenient to them has become really evident over the last two years. My hope for home goods is I feel like they've got a little bit of a leg up because of they've done this with TJ Maxx. They're online with Marshalls. So I'm sure they've learned some valuable lessons through that test ground that one would hope that they are working, you know, collaboratively enough amongst, you know, the corporation that they're sharing what worked and what didn't. Now, having said that, I will shop Nordstrom Rack pretty frequently. I'm, I'm not a TJ Maxx or Marshalls online shopper, and it's just sort of the, I don't know why. But it's interesting. I felt like Home Goods had a little bit of a leg up in being able to understand some of the pitfalls. I think 2% of their sales are driven from online. So it's a very small percentage. So their focus, like from a strategic standpoint, is more around attracting new customers to the brand. So I'm just kind of curious. I know, Kathy, you hadn't spent stores themselves. So outside of our little dialogue around, you know, kind of going back and forth and being excited about, you know, kind of playing around with their online experience. If you were just to, to have gone online directly without our conversation, would you have made that purchase? Would you have actually made purchases? Probably, yeah. because my, I, I, have, I have friends that are like so addicted to the store. And I have one friend, particularly Marcy, who is just her entire home, and it's gorgeous. It seems like everything is from home goods. So I think I probably would have outside of the conversation because I was always disappointed they probably not have a website in you know 2020 or 2021. And Carrie, I would be the opposite that had I not read the article, I would not have gone to a store because it's just there's so many other convenient places online to purchase home decor. There's many places to buy home decor at reasonable prices. But back at you for a question with the free shipping threshold. Have any of you ever purchased an additional item or put, put an additional item in your cart just to meet the threshold? Oh, heck yeah. Think of yourself, if I purchase this one more thing for $12.99, I save $16 and I'm shipping. It's free. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, hell yeah. It's just a fine game. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and especially especially for people that are a remote in more remote areas of the country, like Heidi, you're, you don't have a store right near you. And then Kathy, you're in Chicago. So there's not a convenient place that convenience is worth the $119 because you're always going to find a gift or something else you need that will put you over that threshold. So that, that makes sense. And maybe that, you know, did they test that or, or that was that they're, they're still testing that. I don't know, but I, I totally would fall into that category because the frugal in me will always default to wanting something free. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's always one more dog coat. <laughs> Sorry, Kathy. There's always oh, no. That, and because with their price, depending on, they, they've got such a broad range of price points, but with a lot of their typical price points, you gotta have a, you know, you got a lot in your cart to, that, to get to 119. So the blankets were like boom, 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 boom. You know, like knocked out 
got got me going towards it, and then I'm exactly that. I'm like, well, I'm this close. I guess I better find some other things to buy so I can get the free shipping. So when you were doing that, did you have to search for other things to buy? Because one of the things that I, and the reason I asked that is when I think about their home goods experience as you're in the store is all about impulse items. Yep. So even as you are standing in line to, to check out, yep. I mean, you're filling your bag. You are, you're filling your cart, you know, over and over. So I struggled a little bit with the website not feeling like the same brand experience. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with that. Yep. And so there, I feel like there's some opportunity, especially if they're trying to attract new customers through this venue. It's like, how do they create a better brand experience, you know, for those new customers? Because I don't know, Kathy, if you got the experience that we get in store. Yep. It's just, you know, it's, it's definitely different. So I, I just felt like there's a little bit of a disconnect there, but you know, as an impulse item, you know, maybe there's a way to do something like that on their website to give you that same experience as you're checking out, you know, to be yeah. about different things, because that's where you get all those add-on items and you get to that oh. $119. Or- when you're in a Sephora and winding up to the cash wrap, <laughs> I'm like, that is the, the, that you can lose a hundred dollars just in collecting cute little chachti things. <laughs> going up to purchase what you've already picked out. And you, you do, you lose that. I was in a Sephora yesterday and I'm, I had to leave pretty quickly because I could have gone sideways so fast because <laughs> there's so many things that you see. So I'm sure I didn't have the same experience. Like once I kind of rifled through the, the doggy stuff, because the holidays are coming, then I could go look over in the holiday section. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what, you know, that was another like, okay, there's some things that, you know, I probably need to refresh for the holidays. If I were in and saw a cute little makeup tin or makeup container, I wouldn't find, I wouldn't look for that online. That would have had to have been something I tripped over. Yeah, I think that's a great opportunity for them. In fact, years ago, this was another decades ago before online shopping was, <laughs> again, I'm dating myself, but I had, I was ordering something, I think it was Pottery Barn. And I was on the phone. This is back when you really mm-hmm. ordered stuff on the phone with Pottery Bar. And I think it was that brand. Anyway, they while I was checking out, they they said, oh, well, these, this set of plates is on sale for, it was a big, they, I mean, it was almost like, as I was checking out, would you like to try this? Would you like to try this? They had three or four items. And I think I ended up buying them. But it was almost that impulse buy. It's, so, it's yeah. such a great deal. You can't pass it up. And they were doing this on the phone. There was, I was physically talking with somebody. So I think that's a great opportunity to infiltrate a little bit of that um, treasure hunting, you yeah. know, too good yeah. to deal to pass up. Did you think about this type of thing? And the online experience. I think that's a, a fantastic thing. And they could, obviously, with the logic and AI and everything, d- buy your browsing history, suggest mm-hmm. items of you know and, and little coupons and things like that towards the end of the of the buying journey in the online experience i think that's a fantastic opportunity amazon has i mean they've gotten so skilled and it is because i am on amazon a lot and shop with them but those hey other people also bought this those things are catching me more and more than they used to mm-hmm. so it's Clearly, I'm t- I am giving them the cues on what to be putting in front of me. And I think if Home Goods did that and started 
throwing stuff in front of me. Well, you like this. You might like that type thing. That's how you get sucked in. But it goes back to inventory management, execution and delivery and shipping and all that kind of stuff. Like it's fine to say this is easy to do the treasure hunt piece of it towards the end of the transaction of the buyer journey. It's a whole nother thing to execute that and get it shipped within two days or whatever the, the expected ship date would be. And I think you, all of you ladies inferred uh, the point that when you have a shopping cart in front of you and you're weaving through a store to try to get to a certain department, you're picking up random stuff all along the way that you don't, you don't know what you don't know (laughs) to even throw into your cart and to be able to replicate that. It's like, like being in a grocery store. If I'm heading on my way back to the milk and I happen to go down the cookie aisle, I'm grabbing cookies even though I didn't intend to buy them, but it was on my way. And you don't get that same experience also on places like Instacart, on DoorDash, or any of those online shopping mm-hmm. books that they do try to have a level of influence, but they're still catching up to modern times because the online grocery shopping was in its nascent before the pandemic. And I'm just lucky I can get groceries where right. I live in the country with chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is a very, I, because I'm an Instacart gal, and I'm, I'm surprised when I go into a grocery store, because what I have found myself, you settle into like the same foods, and the times when I am in a grocery store, um, you really can become kind of a tunnel visioned, and forget about all of the other options available. Uh, those of you who ordered online through Home Goods, I actually got to the end of it and I got distracted and, and it fell off my radar um, when I was going through that shopper journey. But those of you, Heidi and Kathy, well, everybody but me ordered something, right? How quickly how quickly did they fulfill it? And was there a expedited shipping available? I don't recall if mine had expedited shipping. as a Yeah. Month, but I did receive mine in about three days, I think it was. Mine was around three to four days as well. It was fairly quick, and it was 100% complete as an order. Yeah, mine as well. And to be fair to any anybody shipping right now, any retailer, because of the delays right now with shipping and our supply chain issues, it's people that Amazon is missing dates, mm-hmm. and, and that's just unheard of. So... With home goods, I do remember what came together, and it, it came faster than I thought. What's interesting also is other sort of twists that I've seen now retailers doing where you can um, buy conceptually. The, the play is you buy online, and it is delivered that day to you. So I had the, had the experience, and again, with one of my favorite retailers that sells cosmetics, and I was like, wow, I can buy it online and get it the same day. Hell, you know, sign me up. So what's interesting, though, is it was executed so poorly that by the time I got done with the phone calls and the trying to track somebody down, because what had happened now is they're having like an Instacart or a DoorDash or Uber Eats or what have you pick up your package. And then they're done. The retailer now is saying, we gave it to said oh, company. Mm-hmm. Take it up with them. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think my three lipsticks are driving around Chicago somewhere. 
So they absolutely washed their hands of it because they had done their portion of the transaction. And that is not going to work when you have loyal customers that have shopped with stores forever. I would have expected the store manager, pull the product, get in the car, bring it to me. That's what we would have done years ago. But even to that point, even if it was the retailer who's responsible for doing the delivery, if you have 10 people standing in front of you in line to check out and ring out, and you get credit for those sales versus an online person where you're fulfilling it, you have to pick pack it and then put it in a car and then send it to somebody. What are your choices as an in-store employee? Do you deal with the people in front of you or do yeah. you deal with that, that one order from that random Kathy person who wanted three lipsticks or this person who's buying $100 worth of face cream? And how do you train your associates to make that balance? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of change management. There's a lot of change leadership involved. Sure. There's a lot of prioritization that needs to take place, a lot of training, and also making sure that you have staff that can prioritize mm -hmm. and know how to ask, what do I do? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep, that's a big deal. That in-store fulfillment, a lot of the grocers are doing it, right? We've all seen Instacart, Public. You know, everybody's doing it these days. It's fine. It's good. It's needed. But I still don't think a lot of the grocers have that, the roles and responsibility of those pickers mm -hmm. and how they behave for in-store shoppers. I still don't think they have that nailed down to make the customer's experience where it needs to be because they go through with those big carts and they are focused on that one task of picking that order and the heck with the rest of the shoppers in the aisle I've seen it. I've, you know, almost been run over by these things. And I feel like there's a big opportunity there. I mean, yes, you want to get this order fulfilled, but you can't make your in-store shoppers uncomfortable or angry. Yes. C completely correct, Trisha, on that point. And I'm a big fan of online grocery shopping because I just <laughs> don't want to drive right now. But and, and I was also an avid online grocery shopper before the pandemic just to save time because I did not want to spend my time walking up and down aisles and seeing the cookies and getting distracted by the potato chips. But <laughs> the companies who have been doing it longer, who at least have some level of respect for the, con the consumers as the brand, not the retailer, not the grocer themselves, they at least tried to do their best to fulfill their customers' needs. One of my local grocery stores tried it has started to do it direct where they're like, I'm going to bypass those fancy Instacart DoorDash. We're going to just do it ourselves. And what would happen is I would place the order and I could not make changes to it after maybe 12 hours before they pick it, they would pick it overnight. And if they couldn't fulfill an item, they didn't ask me if I wanted a substitution. So there were many times when I would get my order, let's say I wanted to make beef roast over the weekend, I wouldn't get the roast. So what, good is everything else around it if I don't have the beef roast. The beef roast. So otherwise, Instacart, you can make changes up to within an hour of them yeah. actually shopping for your order. And if they don't have the beef roast, they say, do you want something else? Like, no. And then I don't need the potatoes and don't give me the celery and don't get me the carrots and don't get me everything else. So the important thing is the consumer comes first. What is the way to fulfill their needs and their yeah. desires and their preferences as efficiently as possible without sacrificing who you are as a brand. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that's on both it sides. A, it's a really, it's an excellent point from how you're hiring people um, in store, how you're onboarding them. 
Because these are very different roles. If I'm picking and packing an order mm-hmm. versus customer facing, that same person might have to be doing both of those things. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, I have to pull these couple of lipsticks for Mr. Uberman to come pick up or Uber Lady to come pick up. And that, I, I think retailers are struggling where Heidi, the model you described was you have people just dedicated to like the picking and packing. And, and then the customer is invisible to them. And that doesn't feel good. No. Then you have other people that, you know, the associates are expected to do it all. And you know something's going to fall between the cracks. You just know it because the person is going to end up serving people that are in front of them as opposed to running to the computer or pulling whatever they need to pull to keep up with the other things going on around them. I think there's an opportunity too. It's not even just the associates working for the organization or for that particular company because there there are so many now that are working with third party. So yeah. I, I actually bought some furniture, some patio furniture, and I was really excited. Got this great deal, really high quality furniture. It arrived, and there was a hole in one of the cushions, and they just gave me the runaround and said I had to go to the vendor. Yes. Well, it was it was like a really terrible experience. Now on the other hand, I bought some. Um, furniture from Wayfair in a little different situation, but it didn't show up. And the customer service was amazing. I was so impressed. Immediately, they said, we've got, you know, we're taking care of this. We're sending you out, you know, duplicates of the furniture you you ordered and followed up with me to make sure that I was, you know, good with my experience and that it arrived on time. I mean, it was like above and beyond, which I definitely wasn't expecting. So I think there's like this big opportunity to understand like who are you working with and how do they represent your brand? Because yes. even getting groceries delivered, I, I did some shopping at Target too, and I had the groceries delivered and the, 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 the individual who was delivering complained about, oh my gosh, they were out of this, they were out of that, they're always out of this. And, you know, it's not representing Target very well. <laughs> so you know, there's just, there's, you know, consequences for brands being able to, yes, there are. You, will, you know, offer a lot of these services, you know, to their, their overall reputation, I would say. And Carrie, yeah. it's, you mentioned that because I ordered patio furniture from Wayfair as well this past summer, and it was supposed to be a two-piece seating set, so two outdoor seats, and only one was delivered. And I called them and I said, it was supposed to be two, we only got one. They said, well, you know what, just keep the one. It's not worth returning it, but we'll refund you the full amount for the two. I was like, well, okay, customer for life. Um, but <laughs> but Daryl doesn't have a place to sit now. <laughs> no, he, he just sits on, he sits on the, the chicken coop. Um, have you guys ever ordered anything online with the local delivery where you didn't get what you ordered? Not that it wasn't, not that it was completely missing, but you got an unexpected um, delivery. And my example is I had placed an order from Dunkin' Donuts and the delivery driver received multiple orders for different delivery services. So he was doing Uber Eats and DoorDash and you name it. They were just all kinds of things on their phone and doing Lyft at the same time. Yeah. And instead of my bagel, I got dog food. (laughs) Um, because they messed up, they didn't oh, read the gosh. delivery address, and so they had shopped at PetSmart as well, got dog food. And now, my dogs love the dog food, but I really wanted a bagel. So, have you guys ever had an experience like that mm-hmm. where you really had something mess, that messed up? 
Yes. And in particularly in a food delivery situation, I'm hangry. Okay. At this point, <laughs> I, or I am like, I want my food and I want it now. And there was a situation. It was the oddest substitution too, where I think I ordered something that, you know, was very heart healthy, like paleo, keto, something. And I got a chicken tamale and I'm like, <laughs> how do you get that out of this, out of my order? And I was just so done because I'd already waited for the order and tracked them down. And it's just interesting where you're like, no, good try, but I really wish you would have called. <laughs> and in that situation, because when I got the dog food instead of the bagel, the, when I called the delivery service, they said, do you want him to just turn around and bring it to you? I was like, no, that was 30 minutes ago. It, by now, the bagel's cold and stale. Yeah. Coffee's cold and stale. And no. I, and I don't even want a replacement at this point because I never send back food in a restaurant just out of a matter of policy. But um, how, how do you reconcile if you end up with something that's completely unexpected? I've had experiences like Wayfair where they're like, bam, fine, refund. What can we get you? Do you would you, um, Amazon's great. Where it says it was delivered, I've had, had it happen a handful of times. It wasn't, they're like, fine, credit or ship it. Do you want another one? And then when any time, and I think, Carrie, you're on to something with the third party piece, is the negotiation you are having with whatever that company is, is you, you need to onboard their employees because in the eyes of the consumer, they are representing yep. Sephora. They are representing Target. And I'm, I'm not making the connection that it's like, oh, you're not Target. I'm like, no, you're part of my whole experience, and yeah. I'm not happy right now. So it's not that I'm unhappy with you, said delivery person. I'm unhappy with Target. Right. Yeah. And that's without thinking that value or that handoff chain grew and really having committed partners. You yeah. really need, when I'm thinking about it, you need strategic alliances that are going to represent your brand. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, that partnership, because it's it's – you know, everyone talks about up and down the supply chain, supply chain collaboration. But if they're, if you're all representing the brand, mm -hmm. that's what the consumer sees. They don't care that it's a vendor that's not Home mm -hmm. Depot. Their their experience is with Home Depot. So if you don't have those partnerships in lockstep with you, you are clobbering your customer experience and your customer loyalty. Going back to Heidi, your question about getting a wrong delivery. I do not get groceries delivered. Well, I take that back. Actually, my husband does the grocery shopping. So to some extent, my he does the grocery <laughs> delivery. <laughs> but we have a neighborhood page, you know, social media page where people constantly will say, and I see this lots, hey, I ordered 10 potatoes from, you know, Publix or wherever online grocery. And they sent me 10 bags of potatoes. Mm -hmm. Like once, at least once a week, I see this happening. And the store doesn't take them back. So they say just save, you know, just keep them because it's not worth the store to returning back. But, you know, with razor thin margins in grocery, especially now with yeah. shelves being, you know, not stocked and everything, how do they, how do I reconcile that from cost perspective? I just, that, again, it goes back to the execution and the people that are fulfilling the orders or picking the orders, making sure that that is absolutely. Yeah. Spot on because they are they must be bleeding money. Yeah. 
It's interesting when you're talking about that story, Trisha. I had it happen recently where I did an order online. I live by myself. I'm not typically a Costco shopper because it's just too much stuff all at once. So the few things that I did order, in addition, I got a thousand crackers, like literally two boxes of five sleeves of a hundred crackers. I'm like, what? <laughs> do with these. So people are like coming over to visit. I'm like, and have a parting gift of these crackers. You're going to be one of those ladies sitting in the park feeding the birds. Yeah, but that's a really good point because that, that happens enough that mm-hmm. you're like, okay, not mine. Was that supposed to be another customer's? And they're always like, just hang on to it. You know, we're not going to come back and get it. And do you think that that ends up being, I, I suppose it would end up counting against their inventory as shrink or, or waste that they don't, shrink, if yeah. they do a physical inventory, how do they account for that loss of product? And do they just increase their shrink percents as a forecast and then they end up buying more and their margins are thin to begin with? Yeah. You're right. It's a tricky balance of just trying to make money. And then you're over inventoried if you do buy more. And, or are you just going to over inventory, buy more and over inventory because these mistakes are getting made, continuously get made? I mean, this is not, all of us have seen this on this little phone call. All of us have seen this multiple times. So, you know, we talk about with price optimization software, one, one increase in retail price of a grocery item can increase bottom line profit dramatically. But if you're clobbering that with your online fulfillment mistakes, it's it doesn't make any sense. It's a wash. It's a wash or worse. Yeah. yeah. Or you, worse. Or worse because you're losing customers a lot of times. Right. Too. Do you guys see the opportunity for ghost grocery stores as well as the ghost restaurant industry where the grocers are do nothing but fulfill online orders? They don't allow shoppers in the store? Isn't that like the misfit markets and those places are kind of that model? So, and like the... Hello, to some extent, like HelloFresh and Blue Apron, like there's not a storefront for those those things, but they do deliver the, like in Misfit Markets example, it's the produce that may not be so pretty. Um, at least that's the, the, the plug. And then, so they don't have storefronts, but you're supposedly get these boxes of, of this produce that's that you wouldn't normally get. And it's maybe a little bit um, dinged or whatever, but, but they can sell it to you. So... I've seen that. I don't know how much that's taken off. I know people use it, though. And I guess it's kind of like a boxed concept, but more localized based on regional demands. So in my area, people buy sauerkraut and pierogies. Um, (laughs) There's not a huge market necessarily for other ethnicities for foods. So, you know, shopping on boxed doesn't provide me with kielbasa. So at least what do people shop for in your town and just do delivery? There's a website that has, it's all really reasonably priced green foods and... Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think Thrive is right. Yep. And that doesn't have, that doesn't have storefronts to my knowledge. And it's their, but that's, you have to be ready to set up your own brand and have all the different pieces of it or you need to go out and act like you are a vendor and you're sourcing from other retailers so that you can build up your inventory 
But you also have to consider the supply chain on that because if you're like a misfit market, you need to be able to ship produce and get it to your consumers fast because Mm -hmm. the spoilage factor is so fast. And if you're selling meat, for goodness sake, the packaging alone is going to be crazy sauce as opposed to having some dude drive 20 minutes from a location to bring it to my house. Exactly. Put it in an insulated bag in the trunk of his car and it'll be fine when he gets here. That's where I've seen, I've been reading a lot of struggle with the food delivery services that you order and they send you like Factor or some of those that you order um, ahead of time and then they're prepackaged meals. So if you get your perishables that are held up or got rescheduled for like a week later, it is disgusting. I've opened one of those and you're like, that is not cool. That's really hitting that particular niche industry hard right now is the fact that we are having so many other additional problems moving goods around the country and around the world. Yeah. I stopped my subscription for my food delivery. Me too. Because of that reason, it was taking like, it was 11 days. And I, I know. The one-time thing. The next month, or I think or three weeks later, whatever it was, it again was, I think, seven days. And by the time I got everything, even if it was still sort of cool, I was like, I'm not eating this terrible of the, you know, the time it took. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Really hard for for brands to be able to manage those types of things. There's so many things out of their control right now. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully this will all settle down and, and, you know, people will be able to learn from, again, this constant disruption. I mean, it's gas prices, supply chain, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it goes back to being able to have your company be agile and resilient to these types of things. And uh, Trisha, that's an excellent <coughs> One of our customers is looking to move their foundational systems off of, dare I say it, a mainframe. <laughs> if, I mean, if, if they're still working on a mainframe, there's no nimbleness in there. Mm. And the unraveling... <laughs> Unraveling it because when coders <laughs> look to code, and instead of buying new software, you just bolt something onto the mainframe, you add all this other stuff, and now all of a sudden it's a loss prevention system, and it's also a replenishment system, and it, you turn it into something and trying to fix that. I think, you know, we talk about home goods and we talk about the companies who are shifting and pivoting to meet the consumer needs, but the last 20 months or so since March of 2020 have really forced all retailers to really take a hard look at the technology roadmap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. The companies who did do a really quick shift to say, oh, hey, I don't have focus. Um, I'll, uh, we got it up and running in six weeks. Do you really have good focus in six weeks? Or do you have a Band-Aid that you need to fix? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the priorities of companies where they used to say, oh, you know what? Replenishment, well, we could live with that for another three years. No, you need to be able to do that, get stuff to the stores quickly, to be able to have good inventory, to be able to meet your consumers' needs where they shop. So I do think a lot has changed in the last 20 months about prioritization among technology within Mm -hmm. um, business. And it also leads to very strong strategic decisions about how companies want to position themselves to their consumers and what they want to offer them. And how do you interact with them when, where, and how they want to interact with you. Well, Heidi, I think that is a perfect way to end. 
the four of us could talk for hours and I know we frequently will want to, but uh, we are at the end of our time. So we have to, we have to end our, our time together. Thank you for joining me. And um, as always, I love talking with you guys and it's so much fun to talk shopping and then, and also dig into as consultants, we're gonna dig into why did this happen? And that's always fun. So thank you very much. And we'll thank talk you. to you again soon. Okay, Bye. talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. So that wraps up today's episode. We hope you found value in the content and in the discussion. If you have any questions and would like to reach out, please feel free to visit our website at parkeravery.com. We also invite you to join our conversation on LinkedIn. Just search for the Parker Avery Group.